told of a creature that was six and a half to seven feet tall. The CIA ran secret mind control experiments. It's a tale of a creature that's been seen by many, but believed by few. And experts say there have been reported sightings of paranormal activity. And there was this creature and it ran down this hill. They say something was flying over their house and they have no idea what it was. How the world's most powerful individuals are actually shape-shifting reptilians. My scariest ghost hunting experience. Good evening and welcome. It's Thursday night. This is Paranormal IRL. I'm your host, JV Johnson. Thanks for being here, everyone. I appreciate it every time you show up and you do in great numbers with great support. It makes me so very happy and I'm so very humbled by it all, especially uh, the folks who take the time to join the live program. But I also very much appreciate all of those who join us through the podcast version of the show. And there are a lot of you. A lot of you. In fact, that is also a very staggering number. But anyway, thanks to everybody for being here. We've got a great show for you tonight. It's actually going to be fantastic. I just want to tease, though, at the end of the program, I'm going to, I, I, there's an, a story that's been circulating in the media about an image that was captured on a security camera at a zoo. And it's, uh, it's causing quite a stir. At the end of the program, after we have a great conversation with our guest tonight, I'm going to uh, put that camera, that that uh, image up and talk a little bit about that and uh, see if anybody has any ideas of what this thing is. It's really quite spectacular. But tonight we're going to be talking about something very different than creatures in video or security cameras. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, time flies. But we had a guest on, Wes Roberts, and... Um, he, he talked about his experiences as an experiencer, and we talked about a book that he had co-written with Leslie Mitchell Clark. And tonight, Leslie Mitchell Clark is our guest. She's a Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist who specializes in a number of modalities, including working with individuals who feel that they've had experiences with extraterrestrial beings. That's going to be the bulk of our discussion tonight. Uh, much of this work, as well as metaphysical therapies such as past life and interlife regression, takes place at her Toronto Hypnosis Clinic. It's called Lightwork Hypnosis. She's done a lot of other things in her life. We're going to get into some of that as well. But we didn't get a chance to test equipment here before the show, but I think things are working. Let me see here. It all looks good on my end. Leslie, can you hear me? Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I can hear you fantastically. Perfect. And I can hear you very well as well. So welcome to the program. It's a real honor to have you here with us tonight. Oh, JB, thank you so very much for welcoming me to the show. And I look forward to uh, jumping down the proverbial rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it, you know, the funny thing about these types of conversations, I'm going to warn you about two things. One is when we get discussing these things, my mind goes in a hundred different directions. And my questions, I mean, every time I ask a question, the answer stokes three or four more questions in my mind. So be prepared for that. And I know you've done a lot of interviews, so you probably are, are going to be fine with that. The other thing I'll mention is anytime we start talking about this type of phenomenon, we get these weird technical glitches. We get these weird oh, com- yeah. computer. You're used to that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What is that? What is that? <laughs> it doesn't happen when I talk about ghosts. It doesn't happen when I talk about Bigfoot. But when I talk about this topic, it happens. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure it's necessarily a negative thing, but I do think that um, we are sharing the earth with a number of our ancestors and distant cousins who are very uh, humanoid-like who still reside here or can reside here if they choose to. And, uh, you know, everything with evolved species seems to be about energy and vibration so even if we had some of these beings around uh just to help with the conversation their very enhanced presence could probably interfere with the electronics so rather than saying oh yeah you know it's the government you know like whatever i don't care i don't think it's the government i think we're just attracting like-minded beings and sometimes their energy can interfere with our um what must seem like a completely you know plesiosoic method of communication I like your I like your outlook on this a lot better than what had been I'd been harboring in my head because I keep thinking you know men in black are going to be bursting through my studio door any minute and that the black you know helicopters and SUVs are going to be out front helicopters above uh, at one of these times but I like the way you uh, you you explain that because that makes a lot more sense to me I mean let's t- well yeah let's talk for a second about government disclosure and government involvement how deeply involved in the whether it's ufo uh surveillance or whether it's actual et contact or it's uh reverse engineering of technology do you have any sense at how deeply involved particularly the u.s federal government is in is in those particular things and how much have they actually revealed because we've only seen very little well they're not revealing anything and if I see that bloody tic tac one more time, yeah, I know, my cranium right? <laughs> is my cranium is good. I don't know which is worse, Elizondo's little soul patch or the bloody tic tac. <laughs> I can't take I can't take either one of them one more minute. But what <laughs> what I what I will say, and and JV, I'm sure you've had plenty of people discuss this. Really, we are we have in the United States, and I I am from New York City, so I'm going to speak as an American, although I live in Canada. Okay. Uh, we have uh, we have spare, parallel space programs. 
We have the space program that is designed to pacify even, you know, the mildly curious. And then we have what has been going on since the Roswell crash, which was a gradual, um, uh, I, I guess a kind of a pact, you know, it's often called the, the Truman Agreement and later the Eisenhower Agreement. But apparently um, at ground zero for our contemporary ufology, I'm going to call, I'm going to refer to Roswell as that. It wasn't one crash, it was maybe three crashes. There were individuals, uh, beings that were recovered. And apparently as a result of that, encounter um, these particular uh, group of greys who were in my in my belief the the zeta reticulites they were they were a specific type of gray they were having the reproductive issues and all of these various problems and they made a deal with president truman where uh, there would be an exchange of technology that uh, you know we could handle um, uh, and as with the exchange of technology then they would be allowed to harvest a very and as they explained it i think a very tiny tiny little amount of 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 human dna now i don't think anybody could have predicted the scope of the Zeta Reticulites uh, fertility program, but for many, many years, 30 years, uh, you know, ova were extracted, sperm was taken, and these very terrifying abductions occurred and really under the auspices and permission of the United States government. And um, I think, um, you know, what if, if any of your listeners who I know are very are very hip to everything. If, if they have a particular interest in this particular uh, uh, nascent time period of ufology, uh, there's a wonderful book, <clears throat> excuse me, it's called The Day After Roswell by uh, Colonel Philip Corso, who has passed away long ago. But there are, uh, there are terrific, it's a terrific account of how the uh, the secret space program was funded and now really exists as a completely autonomous and also international organization. I know that um, uh, my friend Randy Kramer, who you probably had on the show, he's been involved with the secret space program. He, he said to me, he says, I don't believe that there is a, um, a democratic country, a civilized country that is not involved with the secret space program there's and it's true yeah and there was a lot, I, I just i'm just trying to uh make sense of some of this there's there's always a lot of talk about even um the nazis during world war ii having some access to some mm -hmm. of this technology do you believe that to be true boy it certainly smells possible doesn't it especially yeah. when we know that there are many 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 varieties of grays uh, even if you're just talking about grays, I mean, there are so many and uh, they do have some of our DNA, but they have their own thing going on. And there's just an awful lot of evidence uh, pointing to, you know, the arcane interests of the Nazis, the real society, and even possibly, uh, you, you know, their desire to, to reestablish the Fourth Reich right. in, uh, you know, New Swaziland, you know, Antarctica. Yep. God only knows what, what they found down there but i know we're not hearing the truth of it 
Um, what was it, JV, that recently um, one of our, there was a, a group of individuals, including one of our great astronauts who went down into a cavern yeah. for, and mm -hmm. they were gone for like 21 hours or yeah. something mm -hmm. and came back out. I mean, you know, I can only imagine, you know, if the, if the, if the earth's polar axis has shifted, which I believe it has done several times, Antarctica at one time could have been a, a paradisical kind of a, um, a, a gorgeous kind of Mediterranean like place. Right. It could have been, you know, who knows, but we're not, you know, we're not hearing about it. I resent it. We're still being treated as children. Yeah. Uh, even the Pope has said no big deal. <laughs> you know, even the Pope for God's sake has said, you know, this is not, you know, this doesn't fly in the face of spirituality. So, um, and also, you know, JV, there's another, I have a lot of um, empathy for, uh, for veterans. And in fact, in my, in my practice as a hypnotherapist, I work with a lot of PTSD and frontline responders. I, I have a lot of empathy for these unselfish people who do these jobs. And because of the, as a result of the secret space program and what we call the 20 and back, which we can get into later, we have thousands upon thousands of veterans who have risked their lives, who are unacknowledged, uh, their memories are blocked, they have access to any kind of uh, veteran services and they have served not only our country, but but the world. And I think it's a disgrace and a shame that because, uh, you know, the government is afraid that we can't handle, you can't handle yeah, the truth, right. you know, because they're afraid we can't handle the truth. My God, we live through Trump. We, we, we can handle anything. Believe me, we can handle anything. The, the, the people, the humanoids of this planet are strong and will come together when when it's necessitated i have a i have a very optimistic feeling about where we are headed and also the fact that i think a lot of people are waking up and in a large part due to programs like yours jv you you have a lot to do with uh you know the advent of disclosure so i i'm making you an honorary midwife of disclosure today <laughs> well I, I i thank you for that i do follow in some very big big uh, and important footsteps you know people like art bell and george nori and folks like that really uh have blazed a trail here that uh, we are happily following uh, but i want to change the subject just a little bit because i want to understand uh, and, and it's going to be difficult to understand the the work you do with these folks who have experienced some of this contact mm -hmm. until we understand exactly what it means to be a, a hypnotist or, or a hip, hypnotherapist okay. hypnotherapist absolutely you're a clinical hip, hypnotherapist um, when did the, which came first as the first question, your interest in ufology and the ET experience or your work as a hypnotherapist and learning how to be one? Well, definitely my interest in ufology was way ahead of uh, those later, you know, studies and credentials. In fact, uh, I had a rather profound experience or series of experiences when I was only about 16 years old and I was back I was an actress at a summer stock theater in the Black Hills of South Dakota beautiful place really by the way gorgeous the Black beautiful. Hills are beautiful I was there for the first time for the Sturgis motorcycle rally last August <laughs> I could not believe how absolutely stunningly gorgeous that area is just amazing it is 
paradisical, you know, and it has a unique energy. I, I believe there are mica mines there. It has a, it has tremendous amounts of UFO, uh, UFO activity, but it is a sacred ground to the Lakota people. So it's an, it's a no fly zone. So anything that happens is not going to be a commercial plane. And I had a lot of experiences that summer. And that was probably the year also that Eric Von Donneken's little super eight film chariots of the gods what a came great out. movie though what and, a great film. oh my god i remember going to see it in a drive-in of all places oh, wow. but um you know so that was that all of that interest came first and i was always fascinated with ufology and um i had for many years worked in really the music business the entertainment business and i reached a point where i was completely unfulfilled i felt what i was doing was empty meaningless and my husband god bless him you know he said well you know you're trying to find something i let me send you for a past life regression so he sent me to a a uh, you know a hypnotherapist and and i did have the past life regression which was of course fascinating but the main thing that came out of that experience is i knew that i could do that that I could induct people into trance and take them on journeys and keep them safe. I, I just, I knew, well, hypnosis is very ancient. I mean, it's, it's by recorded history. It's, it's over 6,000 years old. Wow. So if we accept the idea of antediluvian sophisticated civilization, civilizations, no doubt it's older than that. So I just, I resonated with it. I knew I could do it. I immediately went and got my, um, my first, certification as a hypnotist. Now, the reason that I can call myself a hypnotherapist is because I have another medical discipline. I was also a psychiatric technician, which is like a, a psychiatric nurse in the United States. So that's why I can say hypnotherapist. So, and of course, also the fact that it's, this is, it's not used as an entertainment. It is in fact a therapeutic technique completely uh completely focused on the healing and well-being of the, of the subject so um now i first um uh, i guess i must have put it out into the universe jv that i wanted to work with these individuals but in truth i it was a few years in fact i took certifications in what we call metaphysical hypnosis which is past life regression interlife regression etc and at the clinic where I was working at the time, about once a month, somebody would call in and say, you know, I have missing time, I'm having dreams, I've seen these beings, and no one else wanted to touch that with a 10-foot pole, you know, and I said, bring it on, bring it on, baby, let me, let me talk to these people and see what's happening. Now, obviously, not everyone who believes that they have had an extraterrestrial encounter has had one. And I have to be scrupulously sure that I'm not working with someone who has some type of mental illness, a dissociative disorder, you know, any kind of profound mental illness that I, I am prohibited. I'm sure it's probably the same in the States, but in Canada, hypnotherapists are prohibited from working with individuals who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. So not only is it legally wrong, but uh, morally wrong. So um, I have quite a intake, you know, ritual I go through, which some people might scoff at, but I tell you, if I can talk to someone on the phone for a while, for an hour, um, 
I have great faith that I will be able to ascertain whether or not they have had a legitimate experience, you know, just based on the work that I do. And like Kathy Martin, I, if someone is coming to me for regression, I really like it if they have at least a partial memory of an experience, you know, something that is bubbled up consciously or, you know, that I, I like to have a little bit of something like that to go from. Um, we're going to, I want to talk about how you make that uh, discernment between somebody who has had a, what you consider to be a full-on experience versus someone who might have either mental illness or maybe just dream something they think is real. You know, there's a whole bunch of different stages of this. But before we get there, most people, their only exposure to hypnotism and this whole process is what, you know, some TV show they saw where somebody turned somebody into a chicken on stage, you know? How right, does it right. work? What's the reality of how it works? Well, there's a lot of trickery involved with stage hypnosis. I'll tell you that right now. And one of the things that I will that I will tell you is nobody gets up on that stage and does anything unless they want to. Right. There's a big prime directive of the, the client or the subject to please the hypnotist. Now, also what most of these folks do is um, when the individuals who are coming to see the show or presentation or whatever it is, when they start filing in the room, usually, you know, the hypnotist will start shaking hands. And if you're experienced, you can know very quickly who's a good hypnotic subject and who isn't. Oh, really? So they take those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can. It, it's just I can't explain how, you know, you just know. And so they take these people off, you know, 20 or 30 people who, who are receptive, obviously, and they put them in another room and then give them post-hypnotic suggestions. So it's not quite as spontaneous as it may seem. And um, it, what, what I do is, is quite unlike that um now if i'm if i'm treating someone for um you know a specific issue a phobia you know usually i'm just talking to them i induct them into a deep state of relaxation so that 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 little veil that separates the conscious and subconscious mind evaporates and when i talk to the conscious the subconscious mind rather directly we can literally rewire the brain we can disrupt bad behaviors everything from nail biting to you know you name it and we can instigate new neural pathways now in working in regression it's a little bit different in that the individual is talking to me I'm asking questions and the individual is talking to me. And, and they are they in are a in hypnotic it. state when that's happening? And they're, able, they're still able to communicate? Deep, absolutely. They're in a very deep, you know, for regression, we like to get people into the theta state, which is below the alpha state. That seems to, if I can get someone oscillating in that way, it's probably the most optimum uh, level for them to reach for the process. And then um, if, if someone has come to me as an experiencer and they have, uh, I will go one of two ways. I will either go or, or, or take the individual to the experience where they have partial memory or a partial recollection or missing time or whatever it is. Or sometimes I will 
take that individual all the way back to the first time they had an encounter of high strangeness. Because I believe that there is no such thing as somebody who's had one extraterrestrial experience. When you're uh, talking to somebody for the first time, what type of process do you go through to make that determination as to whether or not this is something that requires my help as a hypnotherapist to to draw out some memories that may be regressed or recessed versus someone who needs some type of psychiatric or other type of medical help? Okay. Well, I really look at the whole person. I take a medical history and, of course, If my spidey sense says someone is lying to me, you know, that's something that I kind of, I I think I have help, you know, really, you know, from uh, evolved beings. I think I have help doing this. But at any rate, it is a sorting process. But the first thing is a detailed medical history. And, um, you know, I want to know if there have been hospitalizations. I want to know if they're on any medications. And, um, And then I will have them usually tell me about why they are contacting me, what makes them think that they have had extraterrestrial experiences. And and that's that's what really will, you know, I'll already have a pretty good idea after talking to them all about their history. But um, when we get into that, um, one of the big one of the big signposts for me is is uh, sexualized memories, um, and by that I'm not talking even about um, a, a dispassionate extraction of ova. I'm talking about um, <coughs> confabulations of sex with ETs you know, consensual Star Trek type sex. And that's something that that, that is a positive indicator for you when, if they have, or that's something that makes you think. No, that's something that tells me that they are, that they are confabulating. Okay. That, that, that they are, they are living on the, the fantasy level. Now, you know, we've always had, you know, I think if you look back in our history, um, uh, psychosis, um, disassociative disorders were always, in past times, uh, involved encounters with demons and, you know, other kinds of spiritual beings. And so now, you know, we've got the same type of, of, uh, (coughs) excuse me, hallucinations and, and, and fabricate and, and confabulations. But a lot of times, you know, the ETs are put in there as, you know, cast members. So, if something is sexualized, it's a red flag. If someone is hearing voices day and night and a voice is telling them what to do, you know, it, it's a red flag for some type of schizophrenia. So I just listen to everything and I answer a lot of, I ask a lot of questions. And if I have any doubt, I mean, if I have a shred of hesitancy, I don't go ahead. I don't, you know, I err on the side of the, of the well-being of the client who is possibly experiencing a mental health issue, but I don't just hang those people out to dry, JV, just a sec, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I don't hang them out to dry. I have a, um, a number of clients who are far more credentialed than I am, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists who are also open to the idea of extraterrestrial encounters because mental illness doesn't necessarily preclude the other phenomena, if you know what I mean. It's simply that 
with my limited credentials, I, I, if I have any suspicion that someone is experiencing a mental health issue, I just cannot work with them. But I send them on to someone who can not only work with them, but is more than open to the possibility of ET encounters. Have you ever had a, a circumstance by which you're talking to somebody who thinks something has happened, has no real memory of it, just for some reason they suspect something has happened, and you've actually seen some kind of physical signs whether it's a mark on on a on a body mm. or maybe maybe they say i've got this thing here and it turns out to be an implant or something i mean has that ever yeah. been the determining factor for you that you've seen some kind of physical evidence that something has happened well i have seen physical evidence usually it doesn't it's it's not expressed until someone feels comfortable with me but i have seen physical evidence i have felt what someone uh, believed was an implant under the skin and you know my my colleague wes roberts he has had a number of uh of of marks that he's taken pictures of yeah. that are in our book and also his book right. uh triangles on his chest he's had a picture of two parallel two like a like a burn mark but yet um Nothing, none of these things seem, I, I mean, it all seems pretty benign. I mean, my, everybody is very upset about the idea of implants, but my basic feeling is any of the crude ones are probably, have probably been created by our own secret space program. And um, they are essentially from what, if I'm to believe what I have heard from many of the people I regress, they're kind of like step up transformers, JV. They're kind of like designed to help us be more intuitive, uh, maybe communicate telepathically more easily because that's the language of the universe. Um, you know, we, yes, we can speak and vocalize with our esophageal stuff and, and many of the beings that look like us can, but they choose to communicate telepathically. So what you're saying then is the implants are more than likely beneficial, some kind of symbiotic, uh, energy I working yes. with us. I, that is exactly what I have heard. They'll say, we've done this so that blah 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 you know and it and it and it kind of seems to make sense and uh, but i do think that you know the worst the worst things that happen to people and i'm talking about the most traumatic horrible experiences that i've ever heard in my office uh, have been at the hands of some combined uh et human military research kind of thing so we have no problem being horrible to each other. Well, that's for sure. We have no problem at all with yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that some of those implants, um, who knows what they, what they might be. But uh, I, I think that you know any evolved species, they're not tracking dots. Any evolved species would know, and we even know this now, that every human brain, every consciousness emits a kind of a radio signal, a unique energy signature, if you will. And um, the um, so to find anybody, all you have to do is have the right kind of receiver. You know, nobody needs the, the beings that we're engaging with that are trying to help us don't need tracking dots. You know, and I and I really think that, you know, the the farther along I go down this rabbit hole, JV, I really believe that the people who are experiencers um, have made 
agreements and made a determination to be here in this particular time, um, aiding the you know disclosure and the transition that we're gonna we're going to have to make from say fossil fuels to free energy. It's all possible. It's all part of an evolving society, but you know there's always the old guard that wants to burn coal. So <laughs> it'll be a you know there will be a, there will be a transition and and this is a very exciting time. I, I've I've heard uh, I've heard of our blue watery planet described as the grand experiment because we have so many beings on this planet are from such a wide spectrum of development. I mean, you have, you know, serial killers and God knows what, and then, you know, you've got the Dalai Lama and anybody else you would in that position. We have a wide spectrum of beings on this planet. And right now, I think more than 50% of the people on the planet are waking up to the possibility of a new kind of world, you know, free of, of poverty, uh, free of deprivation. When you have somebody who has reached out to you, you've had initial discussions with this person, you recognize that there is truly something there, something has happened, maybe it's ongoing, uh, and you decide mm -hmm. to work with that person. Uh, what's, if you had to, if you had to kind of quantify the the benefits of of this work of this relationship you would have by working uh, with this person, what do they get out of it? Is it better for them to recall all of this? It, does it help them handle it yeah. better? I mean, what is the ultimate goal that you have when you're and, and that they have when you're working with somebody? Well, my goal is to help them recover their memories, remember who they are, and integrate the experiences you know into their life so that they are happy and fulfilled and are able to um and are able to accept you know what they have taken on which is a, a collaborative uh, relationship so yes my goal is healing and integrating the experiences and you know i, I I should probably just throw this out there that the the um, if you want to call it the abduction experience or the encounter experience crosses all uh, boundaries of race, religion, socioeconomic status, you name it, it crosses it. So I have people come to me who are barely surviving and they're on the dole, you know, or, or assistance or something. I have judges and lawyers, uh, teachers, lots of teachers. So um, most of the people that come to me are functioning in their lives. And often, you know, I'm like, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm the last chance Texaco, you know, because someone who is well healed, they've had, you know, they've They've had neurological exams. Right. They've 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 tried. Uh, you, you know they've they've been using biofeedback. I mean, you name it, they've done it, and they still have missing memories and feelings of these occurrences happening. Okay. So, I was just going to say the main thing to me is to let these people know that they are not crazy, that the experiences that they have recounted and that I have recorded are real. And then to accept them and even accept whatever their their role is in this amazing uh, uh, disclosure opera that's going on. 
Is it common? Because you you said you don't believe there's any such person who's had one experience, which in, implies mm-hmm. that people, once they've had an experience, continue to have experiences. Is it common when you start working with someone to re- reveal and find that these, whether they're abductions or just contact of some sort, is ongoing during the during the point at which you're working with this person? Almost always it's ongoing. So one of the first things that we do once we're getting into the subject matter is I help my client to make an agreement with the ETs to let them sleep because sleep deprivation is a huge, it's one of the big sources of this and it's a huge issue for experiencers. So, uh, and I actually, you know, I, it was so many years ago now, but I actually did this with Wes because he was having activity every night. And I just said, look, in real time, let me put you under. And why don't you ask the ETs you're engaging with to only work with you on the weekends? Does it work? Do they listen? It worked. (laughs) They listened. They listened. They don't, uh, they just didn't understand uh, sleep. In, you know, and, and the level of exhaustion that, that, that he was going through with all of these these experiences that would be half remembered in the morning and, you know, marks and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, they did understand. So the first thing I try to do, no matter how I do it, is get these individuals to sleep, whether I just need to make them feel safe. You know, it, it depends on, on what has happened, but but. Getting them to sleep is a big thing. Um, so we do that, and then I will lead them um, through different experiences, uh, either in consecutive order. I may start at the very beginning, and I'm telling you, as you asked earlier, most of the people that I work with are uh, have clear evidence of being lifelong experiences experiencers in other words memories from maybe the age of three. Oh wow Do you, yeah. you, you mentioned that that these experiences cut across all socioeconomic classes uh, racial classes cultural I suppose mm-hmm. as well do you see any patterns though do you see any type of commonalities between the ty- the people the various people who have these these experiences? I do. There are two huge commonalities. One is what I would simply call PSI or psychic ability. And that may be one of the reasons why uh, various ETs tend to follow us uh, genetically because, you know, that type of ability like musical ability is certainly going to be passed through a familial line. So psychic ability and compassion seem to be the two qualities that that are common in all of these diverse people that that I work with and you know it 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 really makes a lot of sense because you know say you're you know you're Jane Goodall and you're you're in in the middle of Africa and you discover a new species of primate and some of these guys have esophageal stuff that's working like humans and can form words now wouldn't you spend more time working with those beings 
with whom you could communicate and could communicate to you. So I honestly just think it's that simple. They are looking for people that can not only communicate psychically, but are probably capable of bilocation or astral projection. Because as, as individuals, as experiencers head into midlife, what seems to happen, and this hasn't been written about a whole lot, but what's, what I seem to have perceived here is that the physical experiences um, minimize greatly and the experiences become what I would call etheric experiences, much more like astral projection that goes on in the so-called sleeping phase of the experiencer. So that's that's what a lot of the people I work with seem to um, evolve into that kind of relationship where they're really working with benevolent ETs and projecting their consciousness somehow. Yeah. Leslie, you mentioned uh, genetic. Uh, um, I'm not sure how you phrased it, but the impression I got was that these uh, ETs like to work with family lines, family mm -hmm. lineages. Mm -hmm. Is that is that what you were implying? That is exactly what I was saying. Yes. I mean, you now we might not be able to know about these things very far back, but I can get a lot of people to say, well, my mother had experiences. She admitted this to me. My grandmother admitted she had experience on her deathbed. You know, we, we, we see a lot of that. And our own, you know, lovely Kathleen Martin, who is, of course, one of the foremost uh, ufologists, she's the niece of of. Benny Hill, Barney and Benny Hill. Yeah. And uh, years ago, I asked her, I said, you know, it seems odd that that was the singular experience. And I said, have, you know, have there been other experiences in your family? And now finally, in this last book that she's written, she discusses it. But yes, uh, Betty had had previous exp experiences. Kathy's mother, who was Betty's sister, had experiences. The grandmother had experiences. I think more commonly, it seems to be, I, I have more of a preponderance of female experiencers than male. And I don't know if that's just, you know, just a thing, you know, but uh, it seems that although, yes, there are certainly men who are psychic and gifted, um, I'm going to have to say it seems more prevalent among females that these that this these abilities are carried through the maternal line or the matrial DNA. Yeah, I've noticed that that tendency as well. And I always mm -hmm. tell my audience and my guests as far as those types of sensitivities and abilities, I have zero. I am as sensitive <laughs> as a brick. <laughs> I really am. And everybody says, "No, no, you just have to practice. You got to try it." Believe me, I just, you know, it's just not there for me. I don't know. I missed, I missed that class. I don't know what happened, but <laughs> I don't have it. Leslie, when, when, when um, you know, obviously ab abduction is a physical contact, but beyond mm -hmm. physical contact, what, what, are, what other types of phenomena are happening to these people? Are they, are they getting visions? Are they, are they getting others, some kind of, you said, telepathic contact? Beyond the mm -hmm. physical abduction, what other types of things are happening here? Well, what I'm finding a lot of is that experiencers actually have like jobs that they are doing uh, often aboard some kind of craft, some kind of space station, uh, collaborating scientifically, sociologically with other with all kinds of different beings. And, and you know, the variety is is quite 
quite startling. But yes, there are. They they seem to be um, uh, actually engaging in projects and assignments by projecting their etheric body on on to the craft or or wherever it needs to go. So um, now I also know that in the um, with the individuals that I have to have been part of the secret space program. And that's almost like a whole nother show because it's so out there and there's so much to tell you about that. But, um, uh, those individuals, we started, you know, cadets you know, as young teenagers, uh, they were taught how to buy locate for more nefarious military purposes oh, wow. and uh, i've heard you know tales of you know different kinds of you know sophisticated kind of like virtual reality chairs is where a lot of these things are taught and um uh, one of my clients is he's done a number of shows carl dory he wouldn't mind if i said this i mean he remembered that he was um when he was being taught to bilocate, um, there was some type of terrible trauma that took place. He was just a young kid. And then, the, you know, he literally remembered being in this chair, this special machine, and and um, having his essence, you know, slip out up to the corner of the room. And this exercise eventually came um, and this is this is what I've, I'm just telling you what I've heard. I, I really can't say whether I believe this or not, but it's just what I've heard that this this type of bilocation was basically weaponized uh, in a kind of secret soldier program where there were these physically superior individuals who were also able to send their etheric bodies out to spy and cause heart attacks and a whole wide range of, you know, MI6 kind of spy versus spy stuff. So everything that seems to happen naturally and benevolently with you know, the good guys is, is torturous, painful, and weaponized with our own military industrial complex. So that seems to be what's going on now, even though there are still occasions where, where uh, experiencers will go aboard a craft physically, you know, craft will land at the backyard, they'll be awakened, they'll go out. Um, little kids are often floated out. Um, they're in, they, they keep them calm at the stage, a kind of a, a, what would be the word, a hypnagogic state in between being awake and being asleep. And uh, there seems to be some technology that must be able to speed up our cellular composition so we can pass through solid objects. I don't know, but they do. They go through windows, through walls, up through the ceiling. But that primarily seems to happen in the more pediatric um, abductions or experiences. I've got to get to a few of the questions that have been flo floating through our chat room here, so it's going to be a bit of a departure from what we've just been talking about. But uh, Steph in our chat room wants to know what your opinion is of the phenomena at Skinwalker Ranch. Are you, uh, uh, you're obviously familiar with it. Wow. Are you, what do you think is going oh, on? Oh, yes. Well, I think it's very probable that there's a base there. Um, you know, the, the most recent 
scientific data and I've just been watching the television show like everybody else. I mean, they're getting ridiculous EMF emanations. There's a tremendous amount of craft activity. Uh, it seems as there, there as though there is some type of collaborative base there. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very protected spot. It's kind of like a box canyon, you know, so um, it would be a very uh, smart place to put some type of base like that. And, um, and the whole, the whole Skinwalker Ranch seems to be booby trapped. You know, they dig too deep, they get sick, they fall over. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but that kind of stuff smells military to me. So I have no, I absolutely accept that there's every kind of arcane phenomena going out there. A lot to do also with, with cattle mutilations and it's, it's incredibly active, but it, everything smacks of a military presence to me. Tiana wants to know what your thoughts are about the reptilians and do you believe any of the connections that are often discussed between the reptilians and say the royals and or some celebrity mm -hmm. clusters? Well, you know, there are there are many different types of reptilian space species, most of which who are benign and we engage with them. In fact, um, the late um, the late Paul Hellyer, who was the Secretary of Defense of Canada, you know, not long before he died, what a lovely man. He told me that to his knowledge, the Canadian government was had treaties and was engaging officially with over 80 species. And that was then. Wow. That was a long time ago. So there absolutely are reptilian beings. Now, remember, when we talk about reptilians, we have reptilian DNA. We don't like to use the term anymore, the reptilian brain. But when I was growing up, that was something that we talked about a lot, the amygdala. But we, we have reptilian DNA from some aspect of our evolution. Um, and um, now... I think for the most part, uh, even though the reptilian beings are, are frightening to us because of our natural aversion to reptiles, I think that we have, right. I think they are, from what I have heard, they are primarily benign. Now on, um, on Mars, on, uh, on the Mar where the Mars Defense Force has been since the 50s, there are in uh, I guess I could say indigenous reptilian beings that live underneath the surface of Mars. And every once in a while, there's a skirmish or two, but it's not like a big deal. I, so, I, you, um, you mentioned Mars. Let me just jump in here because you mentioned Mars. Recently, a picture has, has been circulating of what looks to be like a hatchway, a doorway into mm -hmm. the side of a hill. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. some very astute people found it. They said, this, this, this cannot be natural. This is very precise. Uh, this has to be constructed yeah. by an intelligent being. Uh, NASA has explained mm -hmm. it away. Some scientists are trying to explain it away. <laughs> but their explanations don't really make any sense to me. What are your thoughts on no. that? You know which picture I'm talking about, right? I do. Yeah. I, I know exactly the picture you're talking about. And what I will say that I have had many individuals who served in the secret space program who have talked to me about their stint, uh, uh, their tour of duty on Mars. And for one thing, 
there are what I thought was rather humorous. I guess it was Randy Kramer who told me these. The, the structures, the, the, our structures, the humanoid structures, really look like, I mean, they're like Quonset huts. I mean, it's like, it really looks like military 1950s stuff. It's not, you know, super modern. We've been there a long time. And um, also there is an atmosphere. Um, they have been terraforming on Mars for, you know, 75 years, 80 years. Now it's a thin atmosphere in that uh, when you first go there, apparently, you know, you often have to take oxygen, but it's kind of like being up very high. Uh, eventually you do adapt to it. So there's an atmosphere. The sky is not, it, it's actually a blue sky. Uh, there are all kinds of animals who live on Mars who are, a, would similar looking to dinosaurs of all things so there's life there and there is also there are also ruins all over the place from some former uh super civilization they look egyptian um they are you know angled and i i think quite a lot of that has come up uh in in some of the information some of the photographs that we've seen from the recent um you know, exhibitions. But uh, I think that Mars at one time had an atmosphere and it was a way station and a sophisticated culture was there and that atmosphere was ripped away. And um, since that time, it is a position of power for us, a base. Uh, and um, there are reptilians there. Do I think that the the royal family are reptilians or, or, or shape changers? Uh, no, I don't. I, I think they're mostly German, though. Okay. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you, you, we started the conversation with, too. You talked about the initial contacts, many of the initial contacts, and I'm sure these contacts have been going on for far longer than we're even aware of, but the initial contacts you talked about with the Greys, there was a rep, uh, reproductive mm -hmm. mission involved. The Greys were struggling uh, in mm -hmm. their own efforts to reproduce, and they were taking um, uh, I guess ova and sperm from human subjects. Mm -hmm. That was part of Is that what's still happening? Is that what the contacts are still about? Or is has that been satisfied in some way? In, in what I have heard and in just going by, you know, my, the wonderful people coming to see me, right. those, that entire project timed out. There was a, there was a contract. It was renewed by Eisenhower, but it was dated, I think, into the 80s, maybe. But I don't really, and if somebody comes to me and, and is remembering that kind of experience, generally they're older. And it is an experience, not in real time, but yeah. something from, you know, perhaps 30 years ago, something like that. So I have not heard of any, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but in my experience, there is not a lot of that contemporary, uh, you know, taking of DNA uh, going on. Although it did happen to, it did happen to Wes, uh, but again, it was some years ago. We've talked about most of these interactions being benevolent, uh, uh, benign, uh, certainly not malicious. But are there malicious contacts as well? I think there are. I think that as above, so below. I think they're in the minority. But uh, I, you know, people come to me sometimes with terrifying stories of, of a negative thing that has happened. Um, now, sometimes when we get in there to the actual memory 
it's not nearly as frightening. Right. You know what I mean? I think the fear is in only having a partially remembered thing. But are there traumatic experiences still happening? I believe there are, but at a small level. In fact, you know, this is this will probably answer it. I, I as you know, um, maybe I haven't mentioned it. I, I was part of the experiencer research project that Kathleen Martin was the director of and oversaw uh, under the auspices of MUFON. And it went on for 10 years. And that meant that lots of reports, every, you know, we, it was a big, big project. And what shook out at the end is 10% of the people said that they had incredible spiritual uplifting transplendent experiences and another 10 percent said that they had had fearful traumatic painful experiences so 80 percent of the people reported benign experiences so all I can tell you is that is that is what the and also you know uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell's organization, Free Experiencers. I, I did some work with them as well. They came up with exactly the same result independently. So yes, bad things happen. Yes, amazing spiritual things happen, but most of what happens is very uh, is very benign, and no one is hurt. And it's, it's usually part of what the individual has agreed to do when they came into this life, I believe. We're hearing more and more about star seeds, star seed programs. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. What, what should we know about that? Well, how I in, interpret the term star seed, and I may not have it completely right, but what that means to me is star seeds are souls that have lived extensively right. on other planets, right. possibly as Pleiadians, but they, but this is not really where they want to be. This is not really their home planet, but they have agreed to come into human form again to help uplift the human race, hopefully into the fifth, you know, the fifth density, a higher vibrational level. So that's that's what I understand uh, a star seed to be. And indeed, um, boy, just even in past life regressions, um, I often have people describing other lifetimes on, on very different planets with different kinds of flora and fauna in different kinds of bodies, although generally a ballpark similarity, you know, two arms, two legs, a face, you know, this is this is a sort of a uh, maybe a universal uh, simplicity dress pattern. I don't know, but uh, nothing or maybe in our soul group in which we incarnate, uh, we don't go too far out into physical forms that maybe are gaseous or just water or y you know what I mean? I think in our soul group, we can easily incarnate on a number of other planets. And right now we have a lot of people on earth, especially young people who don't really feel comfortable here. And they, they're so smart and so insightful and so special that uh, I, I have no trouble believing that they have lived other lifetimes in other evolved cultures. Uh, another great question from the chat room here, and we're going to have to let you go in a couple minutes, but uh, are most of the folks that have these experiences 
do are most of them suffering from those the memories being regressed or recessed and if so why is that a function of the the et do they say do they somehow manipulate the individuals uh, so they don't remember them consciously and have to go through uh you know a, a, a hypnotic session or some other type of work to actually recall these experiences well my feeling is there is no such thing as a memory block that can't be gotten past okay now, what I have heard is that the kinds of memory blocks that were used on our own people by our secret space program, they were, they were developed to only last 20 years. So I can tell you that people who have been involved in that pro kind of program, they get to be 40 and it all starts coming back. You know, it's it's all coming out. I mean, they need some help, some direction in coping, but but the block just dissolves. Now, other times, I think that um, maybe we don't remember things until we are ready to, and maybe the suppression of memories has been um, a uh, benevolent act on the part of the ET so that we can function in our, in this 3D physical world in our meat suits, you know? Um, but even, even those, but, but again, they seemed, the memory blocks seem to naturally disintegrate when the person is ready to remember. It's like, once I get in there, the floodgates open. Is, is kind of how I would have to describe it. And then uh, I guess the final question, because, man, we've been on uh, almost an hour here. And uh, by the no. way, I'm, I'm already going to say we need to have you back because I haven't scratched oh. the surface of the things that you're prepared to talk <laughs> about. I mean, we've just touched the very beginning. Oh, my God. We will. We will. We will do it again, TV. Good. That Good. will be wonderful. Good. Yeah. Love to hear that. So the question I have then is these various ET races, whether it's greys or reptilians or whomever, are they walking among us? Are, are they are they either shape-shifted into human form or are they disguised in some well some way? Do they walk walk among us, Leslie? I think so. And I think that, you know, the Pleiadians, the Lyrans, all of our, you know, genome cousins can pass. And, and can breathe oxygen. There are no they they can live among us without ever being really recognized as anything different. Um, I I think that that occurs all the time. I also think that there are hybridized beings who are some of them are able to live here, some of them are not, because many of my people that I worked with have have been shown their children. Uh, you know, the children have been brought out for them to hug them or hold them. And um, and this is often a hugely emotional thing when the children are taken away. I mean, I've had grown men sobbing in my space when their children are taken from right, them. Right. So, you know, they, they don't seem, or at least the, 
the beings engaged with that kind of research don't seem to have a deep understanding of how we love our children and what that really means. Um, I hope that will be realized someday, but I think there are also hybrid beings that they got so close to a humanoid person that hybrid beings that are that have a lot of gray DNA and other DNA are living amongst us as well. And then we have a whole bunch of beings collaborating with um, uh, with the um, the secret space program. Uh, I think it was Wes when he was on the program a few weeks ago was even talking about uh, early contacts he had. He encountered, uh, I think it was even a story about a little girl. And correct me if I'm wrong, you probably if, yeah. you probably know the story. Um, and and he one of the things he noticed about encountering this little girl is that she was almost normal, almost seemed almost. regular. Almost. almost. Yeah, Some she, small differences she, yeah. that maybe you can't even put your finger on, but you just notice them yeah. being there. And if you're familiar with the Mothman story, which I'm sure you are, um, and, oh, the, yeah. and the ET contacts that relate to that Mothman story, there were very similar reports of, you know, they didn't really know how to use a pencil right, or they, they seemed human, right. but not quite human. I mean, that's right. is, is that part right. of what we're talking about here? Those two? I think so. Yeah. I, I think that we are. I really think that we are. I think that ETs have showed up at UFO conferences and, and, and you know, I, I think that they they are amongst us and have been and maybe never left. That's the thing. We are a hybrid species. You know, we were, you know, probably uh, we were, you know, if you believe the work of Zachariah Sitchin as I do, we were upgraded kind of in a Dr. Moreau kind of way by the, uh, the Anunnaki in ancient Sumeria where civilization popped up overnight. So uh, we have, uh, we are, we are the hybrid beings. We are the aliens, you know, <laughs> we are. <laughs> and when you accept that, when you think of it in those terms, everything starts to make a little bit more sense, doesn't it? It sure does. It sure does. And also, I think we have to start getting excited about the possibility of being accepted into a very Gene Roddenberry-esque United Federation of Planets, because everything I hear says that that exists. And um, and we're just, you know, we're still, you know, we're still, uh, you know, in the in the sandbox here. You know, we we've right. got a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's it's but I think that they their hearts are breaking for us because we just don't seem to learn. It's like what has to happen here? What has to happen here? So these beings can can live full lives and with in compassion and service to others. What has to happen? Leslie, I've got your website up on the screen here, lightworkshypnosis.com. What can people uh, expect when they visit? Well, right now, Lightwork Hypnosis is having a little bit of a facelift. I should have had the facelift. I should have, I should have spent that damn money on my bloody face. Ooh, I'm ready for my close-up, JV. I'm ready. No, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, I, there's a bit about me and there's some cool stuff there, but you can also find me on uh, Facebook, either under Lightwork Hypnosis or under Leslie Mitchell Clark. And there's all kinds of stuff there and, um, and feel free to reach out to me. I, you know, whether or not you want any therapy, I don't care. I would love to hear from you or even answer a question or give you my opinion if I can. And you have a YouTube channel. You're still uh, doing stuff on the YouTube channel? 
Yes, we are. We've had contact TV for years. First it was contact radio. Now it's contact TV. And uh, we have, you know, some wonderful guests, a real who's who of uh, folks in ufology and, and also from the worlds of metaphysics and archaeology, too. It's not restricted to that. So we're still, uh, you can find us on YouTube, contact TV. We're still cranking those out. So. <laughs> and you and Wes work together on Intersections, a true story, uh, extraterrestrial contact, right? We did. We are the co-authors of this book, and uh, which is available on Amazon.com, Amazon.ca. Wes's latest book, An Experiencer's Garden, is absolutely wonderful. That's also available on Amazon. And uh, my next book is a cheeky biography of nearly true showbiz stories. So <laughs> <laughs> Sounds excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Leslie, you have been yeah. fantastic. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Oh. My chat rooms are unanimous saying we need to have you back so we'll, we'll work on that because oh. we need to pick up where we left off there's so much more to talk about so thank you for being it here would tonight be my pleasure thank you jv it would be my pleasure and a huge hello to all your wonderful viewers and thank you for tuning in i appreciate it thank you jv thank you very much thank you so very very much again uh, again check out the website and the facebook page all of those things look for the book look for the youtube channel the website is lightworkhypnosis.com and I, I if you use that and use leslie mitchell clark you'll be able to find her on facebook and in other places the youtube channel etc what a great conversation what a great lady and i'm really really pleased we're able to do this tonight and great questions by the way i only grab could grab a few sometimes these things flow through the chat room so quickly i don't i can't see them all i'm trying to monitor everything and as you know i don't always get an opportunity to catch them all so i hope i i answered a few of them for you anyway or, or she did anyway i was able to ask a few of them uh let's talk what do you want to do let's want to do a couple trivia questions oh no i know what we were going to do uh, I, I forgot to actually prepare this but we will do this i uh there was an article floating around that caught my eye and there was a picture that uh, that was caught on a camera. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At a Texas zoo. So there's the picture. You can see behind the fence, There's it's kind of a, a shadowy figure, although it's very bizarre because you'd think these, these cameras, maybe the fence distorts it, I don't know, but you'd think these cameras would do a little bit of a better job of clarity on the image. So uh, they, they captured this particular image, and they're trying to figure out what the heck it is. Uh, looking at it, it kind of looks humanoid in the sense that it's got two legs and it looks like it's got two arms, but then the, the head region looks more canine in nature. The article that uh, ran with this says, uh, eerie footage taken at a Texas zoo appears to show an unidentified creature roaming around outside the grounds at night. The mysterious beast was sought, spotted by CCT. CCTV cameras, closed caption television cameras at the Amarillo Zoo and can be seen wandering around inside the perimeter fence in the middle of the night on May 21st, 125 a.m. City's officials have shared the image, which we showed. 
Uh, it appears to show a tall creature standing on two legs, and they're asking people to help solve the Amarillo mystery. Uh, this The website that, that published this article speculates it could be a large coyote or a chupacabra. I mean, I just think that's funny. Uh, it's either a coyote, which is an absolutely normal creature standing up on two legs, or it's a chupacabra. <laughs> Talk about the spectrum. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, the, the problem with it doesn't look like canine legs. Those don't look, they don't have the the break in them and the bottom where that, I don't know what joint, I'm not a vet, I don't know what the joints are called. But, the, you know, the, the can, canines have a different shaped leg. They're not a human shaped leg. And uh, th those legs don't look like that. What I am thinking when I look at this is that we're completely misinterpreting it. Like, we, we're matrix, matrix, matrixing it to think that, like, those appendages are arms and legs. But we're probably, it's probably backwards or upside down or something. And we're just not looking at it the right way. But I don't know. It's an interesting picture for sure. Joe, Iowa, you think it's a werewolf? Scooter, you think it's some guy in a wolfman suit? It's an anti-Antifa cobra. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is that? Cygnocephalus? I don't know what that is. Uh, but, man, that's pretty pretty scientific looking. I don't know. <laughs> Pelosi. Yeah, it could be Pelosi, too. I don't know. Um, it's certainly curious. There have been no great. Somebody said it was the coyote was trying to climb the fence. I, you know, I just don't see that. Again, the the the, leg, the lower legs do not look canine, and the upper the other things that we think are arms they look way too long to be the front legs of some type of dog or or coyote or other canine type creature, even a fox, you know. So I don't know. It's it's uh, there's probably some motion involved there that that blurs it that makes it look like you know double exposure kind of thing going on, which makes it look different than it really is. So there's a whole bunch of anomalies there but i thought it was curious uh steph you said it's fake maybe it's given the zoo a lot of press tiana you think dog man yeah i mean that's what uh, some people think it's way too hot for a hoax oh you've been following a lot of these sightings okay i know texas is is where a lot of dog man sightings are are occur so that's possible it only barked yeah, or uh, if you if you caught America's Lunchroom today, we talked to uh, Bark Twain, Bark Twain, about his new book. Uh, all right, I have something really weird going on with Mike. Do you guys notice a difference in the voice? Something seems strange. Sounds strange to me. Like, like the mic is having an issue. That's why I did this. I took this off for a second, put it back on. That didn't really seem to change it. I don't know. Something is weird. I don't know what it is, but something is strange. Okay, so let us... Uh, sounds fine. Doesn't sound any different. Yeah, Larry Talbot. Lon Chaney Jr. is Larry Talbot. Uh, let's let's do a couple trivia questions and let's end the night here. How about that? Yeah, I had all these questions. I had, I don't know, I had like 30 questions and we, we tackled like the first five for Leslie. Great guest. Okay. Question number one. Here we go. I do. It sounds normal. Then it must be my ears or my headphones or something. Could be all of the above. You have a ringing, you hear a ringing sound in the mic. I don't hear that. 
Yeah, Tiny, Tiny Ninja, you, it probably is you falling down. Okay, here we go. Who was the first woman to serve as head of a state, head of state for a South American country? I only know one woman who was head of state of a South American country, so that's the one I'm going to guess. Now, I don't think it's the headphones, Gene, because she sounded fine to me. She was, you know, that, I, you know, if, if, if it's got to be something, I don't know. It, it could be, it's probably, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even a guess anymore. I will figure it out. Evita, Ava Perone? Is Evita the same person as Ava Perone? <laughs> yeah. Now that phone won't light up. I do use that phone on occasion, but right now it is there uh, in case I need it. I love that phone. That phone was in my mom's house. That's why it's, I have it here. No, it was not Eileen over Scooter. Who was the first woman to serve as head of state for a South American country? Yeah. No, I get it, Gene. I understand. Um, these are these are ex really expensive. I've got a couple pair of these. Uh, they're broadcast standard headphones. The wife of Pinochet. Pinochet. Dolly Madison? Yeah, Ava Perone. That's the only one I know. Now, Ava, is Ava Perone the same person as Evita? Right? That is the same person, right? Don't cry for me, Argentina. Who was the first woman to serve as head of state for a South American country? The answer is not who I said. It's not Ava Perone. What about Irians? Irians? The answer is Isabel Perón, who succeeded her husband Juan Perón as president of Argentina when he died in 1974. She served until 1976 when she was ousted by a military coup. I don't know who Isabel, I've never heard of Isabel Perón. So there you go. First question, we all struck out. I expect more from you, Scooter. Second question, here we go. Iceland's Blue Lagoon is a popular tourist attraction. What is the source of the lagoon's heated, steaming water? That seems like there can only be one source. Yeah, Evita was about Ava Perone, right? Yep. But apparently she wasn't. Was she just the wife of the father of Isabel Perone? Or, I mean, was Isabel Perone their daughter? I don't know. I don't know. Iceland's Blue Lagoon is a popular tourist attraction. What is the source of the lagoon's heated, steaming water? I mean, is it, is it anything more than under underground uh, lava or volcanic activity? I mean, what else could it be? Underground hot springs? Yeah, geysers? Yeah, it's all heated water that's heated underground. Glacial melt? Well, glaciers, I mean, the glacial melt wouldn't be the source of the heat. Certainly would be the result of it. Iceland's Blue Lagoon is a popular tourist attraction. What is the source of the lagoon's heated steaming water? I'm not going to say that it's ammo. Scooter. Yeah, it could be Scooter. Yeah, could be Scooter. <laughs> uh, 
Uh-huh. Oh, th- this is pretty specific. All right. Nobody's going to get this, although we're all pretty much right. Uh, the water is a discharge from the Svetsengi geothermal plant. Oh, no, I guess it's not. I guess it's the geothermal plant, which draws up seawater from deep within the earth to produce energy. After the water passes through the plant's turbines, it empties out into the lagoon. Apparently hot. These questions stink. Here's the third and final one for tonight. Let's hope it's better than the first two. Here we go. There's a flowering plant commonly known as the corpse flower. How does this plant earn its macabre moniker? There's a flowering plant commonly known as the corpse flower. How does this plant earn its macabre moniker? I feel incredibly dumb tonight, incredibly stupid tonight, based on these three trivia questions. It looks like dead fingers, smells like dead meat. (laughs) There's a flowering plant commonly known as the corpse flower. How does this plant earn its macabre moniker? I'm, I, I, I like the, uh, the, uh, Smells like like dead decomposing flesh. That sounds right to me. It grows near dead bodies. The scent when it blooms. Yeah, Allie, see, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it has to do with the scent. Smells like dead person to draw flies for fertilization. Interesting. Okay. Smells like rot. Yeah, everybody's going that way. That It's the smell. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, again, the question was, there's a flowering plant commonly known as the corpse flower. How does this plant earn its macabre moniker? The flower smells like rotting flesh. The stinky plant is native to Western Sumatra, but can be found in botanic gardens around the world. There you go. Almost everybody had that one. All right, gang, thanks for being here tonight. Please uh, please uh, subscribe, follow, like, and share. Let more people know about the program. Had a great crowd in Foxhole tonight and also in YouTube. Thanks for being here, everybody. I appreciate it. And uh, I think um, Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about um, past life experiences, if I remember correctly. I think that's the conversation for Tuesday night's discussion. So I look forward to seeing you all then. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great weekend and uh, has some fun planned. Um, Because that's what it's all about, right? You got to enjoy yourselves. So with that, I'll say goodnight and we'll see you all next time. 